0: Is okay? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, tonight, or this morning, we're going to talk about perfectionism and the pursuit of excellence. Um, I have this thing about excellence of ministry because it was drummed into me at my other church, and um, some things are good about it, and then some things just wear you out to try to be excellent. You, you can get to a point where... You have to let something go and say, It is good enough. This is the way it is. And I always say here when somebody does something, it's not a Broadway production. We're we're here for the anointing of God. We're not here to impress people. And some of the, the mega churches you look at, I'm not faulting them, but it's more like a Broadway production than it is church service. And I think God wants us to do our best. And to be as excellent as we can be, but I don't think to the point of wearing yourself out to do something just a little bit better so that people will give your approval. And that's what perfectionism is. Now excellence means that I'm doing the best I can do. And this is what I can do. So excellence isn't always the best. But if it's my personal best, then it's excellent for me. And I'm going to try to do better, amen? And you can look, you see the slides. I forget what song on Sunday morning. There's about two typos in it. And I said, oh, nuts. But then I have to remember, all those slides were put in pretty rapidly when we first started. So I wished I would made a note of it. I'm going to have to go back to his list and see which one had the mistake in it. But it's like, well, oh, well, there's a mistake in it. You know, if somebody complains about it, and this is what we've told you all along, if you see something and you complain about it, well, maybe, you're, maybe God's anointing you to fix it. Because you just can't do everything, amen? And we're not even going to try. So if something's a little out of whack, or you see a cobweb or something, just fix it. Because we're not perfect. But we do have a, a sense of excellence. It says in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, It is because of the Lord's mercy and loving kindness that we are not consumed, because his tender compassion fails not. They are new every morning. Great and abundant is your stability and faithfulness. I learned something when we went on this sugar fast. Dr. Living Good says every day it's going to be a good day because you're never going to get this day back. So you might as well make it a good day because you're not getting this day back. Sometimes it's hard, sometimes I get in a mood and I have to remember my, remind myself, I'm not getting this day back, snap out of it, amen? But no matter what happens, remember that God is more merciful and more gracious than what you and I could ever think about. His perspective is always with an eye to eternity and for us to come to the place of repentance and avoid damnation. God doesn't want us to work ourselves to a frazzle anywhere in a church, in a job, any place. He doesn't want us in our homes. He doesn't want us to work so hard that we forget to enjoy our lives. Genesis 17:1. And when Abram was 90 years old and 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, "I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect." Don't make a mistake, Abram. No. God was telling Abram to be complete in your faith toward me. Be thou perfect. That's what we want in our life is to be thou perfect. Complete in our faith toward God. David said this in Second Samuel twenty two, thirty one through thirty three. As for God, his way is perfect. The world, the word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust him. For who is God, save the Lord, and who is a rock, save our God. God is my strength and my power, and he maketh my way perfect. God makes our way perfect. In other words, he makes it complete. This illustrates the grace of God when David was talking. David sinned, and that seems that David, you can do a hundred things correctly, and then you do one thing wrong, and what do people remember? The one thing wrong. I mean, it's really pathetic how we can, you know, David repented, so let's let's all forget it and move on. Amen. When God perfects us, we are free to ask God to forgive us. Because we're perfected, we trust God. Before we were born, again, now this is when we're talking about perfection, okay, before we were born again, we were incomplete. We could have had a great physical body and a great mind before the new birth. I mean, look at all the people. and Look at great scientists, but they deny God. Well, they're not complete. They're not perfect. People that are absolutely beautiful and they've got a wonderful life and everything, but they're not born again. They're not perfect. Okay, but our spirit is dead before we're born again, so we're not perfect. Once we become born again, then we're complete. Spirit, soul, and body lining up with the Word of God. That's completion. God is perfect, we are not, and we're perfected in Him. In other words, we're made complete in Him. We are lacking nothing because we're complete in Him. Now, it's a faith walk from there on in. Our job is to have faith in the completed work that Jesus did on Calvary and God will help us to become excellent in everything we do. So we don't have to strive. James 1, 2, and 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So let patience mature you. you ever seen a little kid, they just want it now, and they're screaming and crying because they want that cookie now. And then when they get a little bit older, they have a little more patience because they, they have a little more understanding. And that's how we are. When we're first born again, we have no patience whatsoever, most of us. And then as we go on in the Lord, we gain a little patience and we get a little more maturity behind us. And James said this, continuing in that chapter in 117, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow returning. So, perfection, Christian perfection, is that we're complete in God. Now I want to talk about perfectionism and kind of compare and contrast, because perfectionism is the counterfeit of Christian perfection. Perfectionism is the outgrowth of legalism and the failure to recognize the grace of God. It's the great—it's the gospel of works. We can do little in our own strength, but with God's grace, his empowerment, we can accomplish much. And we have to remember we need God's grace. We need his empowerment. We'll make mistakes from time to time. But this is a mistake, okay? If I add two and two and I get five, I just want to clarify that The difference between a mistake and sin. If I add wrong, that's a mistake. If I go out and I do something crazy like rob a bank, that's not a mistake. That's called sin. It's stealing and you know if you hurt somebody then you've hurt them and that's called a sin. But there's a difference between making a mistake on your checking account and going out and doing something outside of God's will. So I wanna just get that up. Math errors, saying the wrong thing—that's different than willful, willful disobedience. Mm-hmm. If somebody makes one mistake, let's say they do something wrong once, it doesn't make it a lifestyle. Sin is your lifestyle; is that like you intend to do it all the time. Grace is grace is Christian perfection. It's completeness maturing, you're growing in Christ, you're living your life sensitive to the guiding of the Holy Spirit, you're relaxed, you're content, you trust God, you're free, because you know God's going to help you. You do your best. Amen? But you rely on grace and mercy when necessary. And we do our best. We do our best with what God has given us, with the, like the people with the talents. A couple of weeks ago we talked about that in Matthew 25, where the They were given talents and some did nothing. One did nothing with it and hid it. And the others made it multiply. Well, maybe they weren't the most excellent multipliers, but they multiplied. Amen. Perfectionism. Now, this is the gospel of works. A rigid system of do's and don'ts by which an individual lives by to feel accepted and worthy to be blessed because they obeyed the rules. So we can see the difference. One is just free to live. And the other one's trying to get get a better position by obeying. And I am for obedience, 100%. But when you start getting to be black and white, and it's like, I've got to pray for an hour. And once you get up from prayer, you notch it on your day timer or whatever you use, and you walk away and you didn't get anything out of it. Or I've got to go to church. So you come to church and you go, well, did my Sunday morning thing. That's legalism. Perfectionists don't look at degrees of improvement in themselves or others because of their attitude of having to be right and perfect all the time. They set themselves constantly short for failure because they can always spot the flaws. Well, I came to church, but, you know, I... I don't know what was wrong with my hair. I can tell you what's wrong in Texas with your hair. Okay, just walk outside and it blows. So I don't even try anymore. Don't worry about my hair. You <laughs> can't worry about it because it, the wind is so strong most of the time. It blows your hair all over the place, anyways. So perfectionists are have maybe been raised in an atmosphere where they're rewarded for good behavior and shamed for bad behavior. So they, cannot, they have not been accepted for who they are, so they're constantly performing. It's a performance thing. They're always performing. They're always doing. They're always working. They're never relaxing. So this is grace, the true gospel. Jesus Christ died once for the remission of all your sins. You can't do anything more to get saved. Once you accept him, now he does say go and sin no more. So it, grace is not a license to sin. Grace is an empowerment not to sin. And once you become born again, you've been adopted into God's own family, and you're released from the curse of the law, and you're translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we're going to celebrate that on Resurrection Sunday, where the tomb was empty. Mm -hmm. Amen? Works. The counterfeit of grace refuses to accept the work of cross as finished. So they don't accept that Jesus... the the work of the cross is a finished work. Now we're adding works to it. You're going to work in the kingdom of God because you love God and you want to serve him. But there's a difference between doing that and works. This poor Christian is trying so hard to win God's favor. Well, you know, if I teach in Sunday school, God's going to be pleased with me and I'll make the pastor happy. Well, you know, if I sing up on the worship team, then my pastor will be happy and God's going to be even more happy. It's all about making somebody else happy. That's the gospel of works. It's in vain. You can't win God's favor by working anywhere. And then you don't even know that God has already given you favor. If you don't do anything. Now, it's nice for people to do something. Amen? Mm-hmm. It's good for everybody to put their hands to it where they can. Amen? Amen? Mm-hmm. But we don't beat you up if you don't want to do anything. I've gotten people in positions at my other church because, you know, the the philosophy was, well, put them in a position and then they'll stay because they'll feel obligated. Well, that's not necessarily true. And you learn that when you have a succession of people in jobs that they're not fitted for because what they'll do is they'll do it for a week or two and get hard and they won't show up and they'll stop coming. So it doesn't really keep people sewed in if you give them something to do especially prematurely. Like some of these people, you know, they've got these, these growth tracks, you know, introduction, and then it's, it's, it's a very slick marketing technique. And I don't know, maybe it does work for some people. I don't see it working overall because you don't even know a lot of times if these people are truly born again. You know, and then, you know, find your serve. Find where you've got to go. It's all about serving, 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 serving well it's not always about serving because you might be put in a position that it might be better if you sit for a while under the ministry of the word and get some Christian legs under you and then go out and serve naturally I believe that everybody in the church finds their natural place in the body just by hanging out with God you find out what you like to do, what you don't like to do But this stress on these management, I mean, you wouldn't believe in the body of Christ, the seminars, you know, how to grow your church. You know, the steps to grow your church, what to do to grow your church. They have apps for it. They have things that if somebody comes in as a visitor, you can get them set up on on an app where they do nothing but text you. You know, like hey, Johnny, see you came to Faith Assembly on Sunday. You know, hope you liked it. Here's some more resources. Well, after about the fifth text, I'd probably delete and block them. But it's, you know, it's that. It's the text. And I realize that we're talking to a different generation, too, that, that texts. But it's all about works, 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 getting more workers and getting more people in. It's not about making sure that they're truly born again. I'd rather have a small church and make sure everybody's going to heaven than get a huge church where we've been so busy trying to get them through the door like a bunch of cattle. We feed them donuts and coffee before church. They come in and they've got their coffee next to them because we want to make them comfortable so we don't preach anything that they're not comfortable. That's the gospel of works. It's not the true gospel, so you're not going to get true disciples from that. And it's such a it, it's such a thing with me. We maybe go overboard and maybe don't do enough to get people to actually help us. I don't know, but you know the makeup of the church. I think everybody's doing whatever they can do to help. So, you know, beating people over the head is ridiculous. So whatever we get done... Because, I mean, let's face it, we're next door. We can do more. Amen? God's, God's prepared us for this assignment. So, if it doesn't get done perfectly, at least it got done. Mm-hmm. So, works. This counterfeit of grace refuses to accept the work of the cross as finished. This type of person is often an overachiever, overachiever motivated by compliments, by accomplishments, Intensely legalistic, looking for approval. If you don't say that they did a good job, then they're upset. Oh, you didn't notice I cleaned the windows. Why do I even try, Lord? <laughs> Perfectionists are never relaxed. Oh, you know why they didn't like that? the windows? Because I saw a spot there. Well, I'm going to get that spot. They're, they're never relaxed. They don't like themselves because they have flaws. Because their pride won't let them allow... Allow them to make mistakes, they hide mistakes, and they're constantly condemning themselves for making them. That's a perfectionist. They're inflexible, they can't handle change, everything's got to be done the way it's got to be done. Performance oriented, can't accept God's gift of grace and mercy, and does not dispense grace and mercy to others. So they're pretty hard. To, if you've ever had a perfectionist, if you ever worked for a perfectionist, you know that they're pretty hard taskmasters. They can be. Everything's got to be perfect. You can't let anything go. And I'm not advocating, please understand, I'm not advocating for sloppiness. I wish mistakes never happened. I wished I had caught that slide before it it went up and it had mistakes in it. But it happens. It's not a Broadway production. And I am sure in Broadway productions, they still have mistakes. Mm -hmm. You know, we can get a better worship team up here. We can all practice on Fridays from 6 to 7, and then we can have somebody go, no, 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 we're going to start over again. Why can't you practice during the week? And how are you going to feel about that? You're going to start beating yourself down for what you do do. And then we're going to see a drop in the attendance because nobody's going to want to be. I've seen it happen. And, and I'm sure if you've been in church long enough, and all of you have been in all of your life, you've seen it happen. You know, it's just not good enough. Well, they, uh, one one woman wanted to sing on the worship team and couldn't sing because she wasn't good enough. Is it good enough for God? He gave her the voice. Mm-hmm. Amen? We've become so professional in the body of Christ that we've lost our true love mm-hmm. a lot of times. We're supposed to love God and love one another like Christ loves the church. This is not a professional production. It's a production of the anointing. It's a production of the heart. Amen? Because we can get so critical. Oh, there she goes. I was doing this again with her hair. I can't help it, okay? My bangs hang <laughs> and it's just right at that place. And I try spraying it and then I walk out in the wind and it does it again. So I have to sometimes clear it because it's in my my field. So we can get really picky and then we start getting distracted from the message because we're perfectionists. And yet we're not willing to stand behind the podium and put ourselves out there and say anything, amen? But the point where maybe it's just my life it doesn't matter to me if that's what I do and it's what I do it's who I am I can't help it so legalism which is an outgrowth of perfectionism looks like it's being disciplined strict adherence to the letter of the law rather than to the spirit of the law you know it's you made your bed you lie in it no God's more merciful than that and we have to be more merciful I heard this somewhere. I didn't do it, but I thought it was good and I can't remember because it's been so long. But grace is not legislated, Mm -hmm. it is governed by the spirit of wisdom. So, in other words, is it wise for you to do that? That's what grace says. Is that wise? You know, should you be eating that much chocolate? Is that wise for you? You know, should you be binge watching a program till two o'clock in the morning? Is that wise? So, that's what grace is. Our, our little teacher inside of us saying, "Is that wise to do?" And then we answer the question. We say, "Well, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to do it anyways." And then we pay the consequence later. But Galatians three twenty three through twenty five talks about the law. It says, "Now before faith came, we were perpetually guarded under the law." In other words, we're, you think of that little toddler. What's what's our favorite word with a two year old? Is no. And then they get the they, they get the word, they understand what it means, and they start parroting it back. They start saying no and throwing tantrums. And then we have to pick them up, and we have to get them back into the rules. We were guarded under the law, kept in custody in preparation for the faith that was destined to be revealed, so that the law served as our trainer. And I think of that, the law served as our trainer. I think of that, somebody going out and getting a physical trainer like at Planet Fitness or something, so we get a trainer. So the law served as our trainer until faith came. Our guardian, our guide to Christ to lead us until Christ came that we might be justified, declared righteous, put in right standing with God by and through faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a trainer. So we have that trainer, and he's making us do the treadmill and stuff. Well, after a while, the trainer is going to say, okay, you get it, now sink or swim. You do it, and you're going to get the results. If you don't do it, then you're not going to get the results. So that's what the law is. The law is our do's and don'ts to get us to that place of faith in Christ. Then we don't need the law anymore. Then we don't have to go by the letter of the law. We're supposed to be disciplined. The definition of discipline is bringing about a state of order and obedience by training and self-control. Disciplined followers, trained, and we're controlled. But we control ourselves, not everybody else. Matthew 23, 1 through 11, it says, "Then Jesus said to the multitudes and to his disciples, The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat of authority. So observe and practice all they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy loads, hard to bear, and place them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not lift a finger to bear them. Okay, so they're saying, do what my dad used to say, do as I say and not as I do. And that's exactly what Jesus said here. Do what they tell you to do, but don't watch what they're doing. Because they tie up heavy loads. Another place says, you know, they tie a tenth of a mint. So they take their ten mint leaves and they put one in the church and keep the rest. But it's got to be ten. It can't be eleven. It can't be nine. They have to count everything out to make sure it's all legalistic and perfect. And then he goes on to talk. For their work shall be seen of men. They make wide their phylacteries, that was a small case that they put, I think it was around their forehead, and make long fringes, and they take pleasure in and love places of honors in, at feasts and best season seats in the synagogues. And they like to be greeted with honor in the marketplace and have people call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone in the church an earthly father. For you have one Father who is in heaven. And you must not be called masters, for you have one master, and that is Christ. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. So we're to be servants one to another. But we're first called to be disciples. First disciples of Christ, then we're servants. Serving is important, but it's very, very important to be sure that people who walk through this door are born again. We can't make them servants, and I am all for servanthood. I learned a lot as I was trailing along different people in my Christian walk, and they taught me a lot, but I needed to be born again first. We cannot overemphasize servanthood and minimize Christian growth and maturity. Servanthood will help you grow, and it will help you mature, But the purpose of servanthood is to help others. Hopefully, it helps others to see Jesus in us and not just meeting a physical need. Sometimes, when we try to serve, all we're doing is meeting a physical need. Mm -hmm. You know, people hand out backpacks, which are a big help to families. But does it show people Jesus? We hand out food at the food pantry. Does it show people Jesus? That's a question we have to ask as Christians is when we help people, is it helping them get closer to Jesus or is it just meeting the physical need? A lot of times it's just meeting the physical need. And people will take advantage of that. But you have other times when you actually, your relationship grows with people as you hand out things. It can grow and it can lead them to Christ. But we have to be careful we're not doing works just for the sake of saying, Oh, you know, we handed out 50 backpacks. That's why I like Samaritan's Purse. Because they go in and whole villages get saved. Mm -hmm. Because we sent over some soccer balls and some dolls and some things made with love. And bought with love. And they make sure that the kids hear the gospel, at least. And they respond. So servanthood demonstrates God's love and helps to bring people into a relationship with God. It's love and relationship. That's what our whole existence should be about. Loving God and one another in relationship. Bringing people into a a better relationship with God. You can benefit from serving, but the greatest desire that God has for us is to be conformed into the image of Christ, not to be a servant. Mm -hmm. Although it, it sounds contradictory, if you study it out, you'll see that it's true. He wants us to be conformed. When we hear messages from ministers, we should be getting revelation knowledge from them. The revealed word of God through a minister can change our lives, but if we can't sit down long enough because we're serving, then we're going to remain a immature Christian. It says in Romans 10:17, So faith comes by hearing what is told, and what is heard comes by the preaching of the message that came from the lips of Christ, the Messiah himself. So it's important to serve, but it's important to hear. We've got to hear the gospel. The gospel is what helps you grow. Why? Because it's the revealed word of God. You're getting gospel nuggets today. And if you can take them in, it'll help you grow. Even though maybe you already know this. I don't know. But even when you know something, you can still pick up something that you didn't know. If you listen. So we're going to go to Luke. He observed Jesus when they went to the home of Mary and Martha and this is Jesus's attitude toward us. Okay, it's very important. We can make we can work so hard to make our church perfect and make our homes perfect and make our lives perfect that we miss the point of fellowship and relationship. In Luke 10:38 through 42. Now, while they were on their way it occurred that Jesus entered a certain village And a woman named Martha received and welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary, who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was listening to his teaching. But Martha, overly occupied and too busy, was distracted with much serving. And she came up to him and said, Lord, is it nothing to you that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me, to lend a hand, to do her part along with me. But the Lord replied to her by saying, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. There is need of only one or but a few things. Mary has chosen the good portion, that which is to her advantage, that which shall not be taken away from her. So we've got Martha, the perfectionist, because everything had to be right because the master was coming and then Mary, the grace person who just wanted to be with Jesus. When we have people over our house, we'll have, if we have dinner, we put the dishes in the dishwasher or the sink and we'll get them later because I want to sit with people. Amen? I I don't want to be running around and I'll do a lot of preparation ahead of time So that when people come, there's not a lot of serving, not a lot of things going on. Why? Because when people come to the house, I want to give them my attention. That's why I love the fellowships here. I love them. Because we're not, it's just so easy. We just put out the food. Nobody's got a list of what, we might have to start making a list. Because it's, some things we, you know, we probably, maybe all of us don't have to cook the whole meal all at once. (laughs) But... You know, everybody just brings stuff, and it's done. We go over on, on the Saturday, make sure that the temperature is right, put the silverware out, there, anything that needs to go out, get the ice, and um, it's done. There's no stress with it. We don't have to worry if the sandwiches aren't little tiny, cute little sandwiches. We don't have to worry about anything. Why? Because it's just food and fellowship. And that's the way it should be. It shouldn't have to be cumbersome. Now, if we had a hundred people, we may have to do things different, but let's worry about that when the time comes, amen? Mm -hmm. There's a time to serve. There's a time to sit. And Martha didn't know that it was time to sit. And then after they sat, then everybody could have come up and helped to get the, the the meal on the table, right? She didn't have to do it all. So know how to sit, know how to work. An excellence of ministry is not perfect. And we always joke about that because I heard a minister say that was good enough and it was like, wow, see Clarence? Because I'll always go, well, that's good enough. And he'll go, no, that's not good enough. So, but perfectionists wear themselves out trying to be perfect. In other words, mistake free. This is where I say give people room. To make mistakes. Because of refusal to accept God's grace and mercy, the perfectionist is bound in unbelief and is constantly trying to prove their worth. They're trying to perform. If I give a perfect, meaning I never mistake, never make any mistakes, performance, then God will recognize me and be pleased with me. Wrong. If I read my Bible every day and pray, I will gain greater favor with God and he'll give me whatever I ask. Wrong. I'll show God how much I love him and then he'll be pleased with me and answer my prayer. Wrong. God's not looking for performance. He's looking for the person whose heart follows after him. It's after you've prayed and you've read your Bible for an hour or maybe you've only read it for 40 minutes So you don't get thrown off by the hour thing. If you read it for a half an hour and get something out of it, it's better than reading it for an hour and being totally distracted and can't wait for it to be over so you can start your day. Just relax with it. God's not looking for an orchestrated performance. Don't try to be proven to God how much you love him. He's saying, I loved you, so I sent Jesus. Sometimes I just sit there and I write in my journal, I love you, God. I love you, God. For this morning, our cats just, both of them, seemed like extra lovey today. I mean, they were like all over us, you know, brushing against our legs, which is really hard if you're in the kitchen trying to do something. And they're like, I love you. So finally I just stopped what I was doing. I picked the little one up. And I said, I love you too. You can't pick up Princess, first of all, she's way too heavy. <laughs> Secondly, you picked her up. You'd probably get your face scratched off. But that's the way God wants us to be with Him. Just I love you, Lord. What would you have me to do today? What would you have me to say today? Where do you want me to go today? But the performance attitude, it carried through man to man. Okay? It's if my kids behave well, I'll be seen as a good mother. So every time somebody's kid makes a noise in the sanctuary, the the mom's embarrassed. And we've all had kids make noise in the sanctuary. If I keep a clean house, then everybody will think I've got my life together. No, it just means you have a clean house. (laughs) And then you could come over and do mine too. (laughs) If I volunteer at work, church, club, etc., then people will notice how wonderful and how giving I am. Do you see where the emphasis It's not on God at all with performance. It's on my performance. How well am I doing? How am I doing? Am I preaching okay today? Do I look okay? Do you like my outfit? It's all about me because it's performance. But we have to watch our motive. We should pray. We should read. We should train our children. But it can't be so that we're perceived as spiritual people, as good parents, as somebody who's got it all together. There's a perception problem that people who have performance attitudes have. They're doing it all for themselves. It's a selfish motive. You know, I want everybody to come up and tell me what a great job I did every time. Not I, personally. But when you minister, you've got to be careful and you've got to watch that you're not ministering so that people will like you. Sometimes you can look out, not in this congregation because there's not a whole lot of people, but when you've got like 50 people and you look out and you see somebody slumped in their chair or they've got their face down or something like that, you can start to get a complex and think, "Oh, well, am I preaching wrong? Do they not like me? Especially if there's somebody of influence in the congregation. And then maybe you start to get a little second guessing, and then you go, well, if they don't like me, what am I what, what what's what's going to go on afterwards? So maybe I ought to change change my message. No, we do it as unto the Lord all the time. If you serve unto the Lord, you'll never get in trouble with performance. And then sometimes we we're so performance oriented, we try to bribe God with our performance. Well, God, you know that I tithe, so why am I in financial trouble? You know I did serve in the church, so why is this happening, Lord? It's not your performance that causes things. And we're going to talk the next... This would have been a real long thing if I didn't break it up in two, okay? Because I had pride, performance, and perfectionism. And I said, well, that would just be way too much for one. That would be way too much for one sitting, for even me. I mean, I was just going through this outline thinking, no, we're just going to have to break this up in two. And just start with perfectionism. God values truthfulness above all else. He wants us to be truthful. Not to be some fake super Christian that, oh, I do everything. I'm so important. I'm so spiritual. And God's up there going, huh? I made the world.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you, know. you try you try making the world. And you come back and tell me how, how spiritual and how great you are. We get angry at God for not rewarding us according to what we think we should happen. Oh, I've worked so hard. I've poured out my life for you, Lord. You know, every time something happens. Well, sometimes things happen. Because, well, I don't want to get into the pride and and (laughs) perfection. The pride and the other one, what was it? Perfection, pride, and... No, it wasn't performance. Gosh, I can't even remember, so I guess it's good I'm not teaching that. (laughs) So don't try to bribe God. It's not going to work. Just be yourself push yourself though sometimes I don't relax and think well I don't ever have to serve anymore because you know she said no push yourself a little bit sometimes if you just put your hand to something God will bless it and he'll give you more knowledge and it how do you know if you're serving in the right place because it's easy that's why you want to make sure that it's always a good fit for people when they do something it's easy it's not hard to do because God puts a grace on you to do it so it's easy, it's easy to do it it's easy for me to go back and teach kids because there's a grace on me to do it plus we also have right now a a group of really great kids that are easy to teach but if you go back there and you're not called to do it it's going to be miserable God might even grace you Like we need help And what we'd like to do is get another person in so that we can split the younger ones off. We have a few younger people that would come if there was a a group for them. But God might grace you even for a season to help out. But the trouble is, is sometimes, because we've been abused in our seasons, that what ends up being a promise of a two-month commitment ends up to be a 20-year commitment. So a lot of us are reluctant to even volunteer for anything because we know what it means. It means that we're going to be department head before you know it. And we're never, we're going to die in that position. So people are reluctant to help a lot of times. It's not because they're not willing to, but sometimes they're willing to help for a little bit. But it's too much to ask them to always miss service, always be here on time, always, always, always. So there's a I guess when, when we're talking about serving, this make sure it's a good fit and make sure before you say yes to anything that you think about it. Amen? So, And that seems hilarious with this amount of people because everybody's doing what they can do. But we're also ministering to other people that aren't sitting here. So that's why some of these things you say, well, how does that apply to faith assembly? Well, some of this doesn't really apply to us directly. But it's just good information to have. Amen? So, let's see. Here we go. 1 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 6, and the amplified, For our appeal and preaching does not originate from delusion or error or impure purpose or motive or fraud or deceit, but just as we as we have been approved by men to be entrusted with the glad tidings of the gospel. So we speak not to please men, but to please God. Who tests our hearts, expecting them to be approved. For as you well know, we never resorted either to words of flattery or to any cloak to conceal greedy motives or pretexts for gains, as God is our witness. Nor do we seek to extract praise and honor and glory from men, either from you or from anyone else. Though we might have asserted our authority, stood on our dignity and claimed honor as apostles, special missionaries of Christ the Messiah. So God, we don't speak to please men. I'm not trying to please you this morning and make you happy. Perfectionists can be constantly tired because they work harder than what God ever wants us to do. This often leads to anger and resentment, especially to others. Well, look at them. They're just sitting there. You know, are we Martha or are we Mary? Mary. person who does it, who must have everything perfect, runs the risk of having a severe exhaustion and possibly even a mental breakdown because they're always working, 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 working. It's very time consuming to get everything perfect. And then after you try to get everything perfect, there's always that one flaw that the perfectionist sees and it ruins their enjoyment of the whole thing. People with perfectionist tendencies have problems sleeping at night sometimes because their mind is always going on what needs to be done. Always working, always going. The perfectionist looks at God's standards as impossibly high, and they are. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, but the perfectionist sees God as a merciless taskmaster who demands bricks without straws. If God calls you, he's going to anoint you in the position. You'll have the grace to do it, and it'll be easy. Sometimes we're doing things outside of the grace of God, and that's why it's hard. You know, it's like if we have a flat tire, and we're trying to lift that car up while the other person's changing the tire. I don't have the grace to lift it. Doris, you might, because you're strong <laughs> enough to do it. No, I don't think I'm <laughs> <laughs> But sometimes... We're, we're trying to do something that's outside of our grace period, and we get mad at God. But we need to spend more time with God and see where he wants us. The perfectionist is under a perceived cloud of God's disapproval. God's not mad at them. They just want, he wants them just to relax and get some grace in their lives so it can be easy for them. No matter what this person is doing, he can't enjoy himself because he is sure God is not happy with his performance. So perfectionism and performance orientation are the same thing. People pleasing, same thing. Don't try to please us. You know, don't, don't think that you have to please us. You have to please God, mm-hmm. not the preacher. Legalism is a tremendous bondage for many Christians who would rather live under the law of work than God's gift of grace. And why is that? It's because we can see the law. Just go back to Exodus. You can see the Ten Commandments. So anything we can see, a lot of us can't see visually. We can't see spiritually, rather. But we can see the law. So some of this is just perception because we can see the law. So, okay, so if I see it, I can obey it. I can't see God. So I'm going to have a little harder time Trying to figure out what God wants me to do. Legalism is a poison to your walk with the Lord. It steals your joy because you try harder and harder to maintain perfection. Because I can see the law so alright. So if I can see it I can do it. No he said nobody can keep the Ten Commandments. That's why he had to send Jesus. But that doesn't give you a right to go out and kill, steal and do things that the devil would do. Amen. Legalism is simply doing, living by a list of do's and don'ts where there's no room for any error. It makes no provision for mistakes, and constantly this person is under condemnation because we all make mistakes. Legalism invites religious spirits into your life because the curse of the law is to live under the Ten Commandments and not break them. We were under the curse of the law before we got saved. We were under that, and then Jesus came, and he gave us power over the law. All false religions emphasize works. Don't fall for it. Often, deep-seated anger against an unpleasable God loops in the hearts of a perfectionist. And I've already mentioned this. God, can't you see how hard I'm working for you? You owe me. Now, we wouldn't be that old to say it but we say it within ourselves when we've worked hard for God. God wants you to come and rely on Him. It says, Matthew 28-30, 11, 28-30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. Take my yoke and learn upon and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Then you will find rest Relief and ease and refreshment and recreation and blessed quiet for your souls. For my yoke is wholesome, useful good, not sharp, not hard, not hard or pressing, but comfortable, gracious and pleasant. And my burden is light and easy to be borne. If you're not enjoying your life because you're a perfectionist, you can take Christ's yoke upon you. It's difficult for perfectionists to admit that they're angry with God because it's considered too great of a sin. So many bitter Christians deny that they're angry with him and they don't realize that they're angry with themselves and an unpleasable God. It's not Jehovah God that you're mad at. You're mad at this unpleasable God that keeps setting the prize in front of you and then moving it all the time you make a mistake. This denial of anger also leads, often leads the perfectionist to backslide because there's no way he can plead, please the God of works. And this is where you see a lot of backslidden Christians are perfectionists because they tried it, but they tried it their way instead of God's way. And they said, I can't do this Christian walk. It's too hard. There's too many rules. And that's why Jesus said, do as they say, but don't do as they do. Because a lot of times there's rules that preachers put on people that they're not willing to do themselves. Amen? Once you've crossed back into works and not in grace, you're dealing with the devil's rule and he doesn't play fair. He's just looking to destroy you. This person can become a victim of a nervous breakdown because there's no way you can win with perfectionism. You can't work hard enough. You can't do enough. You can't give enough in order to please that. Why? It's an unpleasable God. But here's the good news. There is a, there is a cure if you're a perfectionist. There's a the good news. There's a cure, but it's not an instant cure. Okay, so if we have perfectionists who are either in the congregation or who are watching this, they just got disappointed. First they heard there's a cure. So what pill can I take for the cure? No, it's an instant it's not an instant cure. It's something you have to walk out. It takes commitment. And there's you're gonna have to renew your mind and accept, number one, it's a process. So if you were looking, you know, well, I'm just gonna go to the altar, confess it, and walk away, and I'll be I'll be perfect in God's eyes. No, 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 no. There are these are type of people who like a thirty second explanation for everything. Oh, okay. That's it. I'm gonna do that. It's simple tidy leaves no rooms for what mistakes. However, you need to remove, renew your mind daily and get rid of your old thinking and replace it with God's thinking. R- meditate on scriptures about the grace of God, the love of God, relationship with God. so that's the first one, the cure is a process. number two, you're gonna make mistakes. So, all you perfectionists, you're going to make mistakes, just roll with it. Learn to live with it, celebrate them. You know, we have our, our knitting class, and one of the things that I learned back in 2017 when I started knitting again was I would make a mistake, I would get so upset over it. And then I'd get on my Facebook page and my knitters group, and they said, Well, a mistake is just another, it's just a pattern. You've just made a new pattern with it. So I've understood that mistakes are not all bad things. You can't just, there's no way when I started knitting, I picked a lace pattern which was really simple. It was just 24 stitches, it wasn't one. Wonder you would probably relate to this. But it was the wrong thing to pick when you first started knitting after so long of not knitting. And um, I got so frustrated, I get to here and then I get off pattern. So I finally put that thing away after taking it out and put it back in. And then finally, after I had a little more experience, I went back to the pattern and I was able to ace it. So sometimes we go prematurely perfectionists, and something we want and we get upset because we can't do it perfect. Well, sometimes we've skipped a few steps, so we've got to go back and do those steps before we can move on. So you're going to make mistakes. Just move on. Fix it if you can fix it. If you can't fix it, say, well, that's it. You know, I don't know. You have to deal with your pride, too. When a perfectionist makes a mistake, it's a painful reminder to him that he's far from his goal of being 100% perfect. So we have to handle pride. And that's where we got with the pride and... Gosh, I I wish I could remember the other one because it was a real good title. <laughs> That's gonna bother me till I get home. Um, so, all right. So, pride. Perfectionists will also put up smokescreens and blame others for their shortcomings, which we see all the time in this society. It's hilarious. We've got an administrator that it has totally ruined this country, and they're still blaming the former president for everything. You know, it's like, huh? You know, wait a minute. We blame others. Well, I could have done a better job if I didn't have to listen to my husband all day long. You know, oh, if I only had more support at home, I could have done a better job. All these mistakes, just admit you made a mistake. Not the end of the world, it's a mistake. We all make them. You can decide as a blood-bought, born-again believer to remain living under the law and not living under the liberty that Christ has purchased for you. That's a decision you can make. You can continue to be hard to live with, you can continue to be a perfectionist, you know, you gotta fold the towels a certain way, you gotta do this a certain way. You can be so difficult to live with, or you can get under grace and realize that your way is not the only way to do things. Many Christians don't understand the meaning of God's grace and they miss living a victorious, joyful life because they're trying to work their way into a better position or to be more loved by God or man. Promotion comes from the Lord. Just sit there and do what you're supposed to do and don't worry about being promoted. It'll happen. If that's what you're supposed to be doing, it'll happen. Just do what you're supposed to do. I can tell you, after teaching this class, particular Victorious Living, for 15 years, I only had sometimes people, only two people in a class. But I kept at it week after week and then I thought to myself, it's better with two people, because if I make a huge mistake, because I was just learning how to teach and how to do things, if I make a huge mistake, I only have to go back to two people and correct it, than if I had 50 people in the room. But week after week, and then you go, well, you know, did you get frustrated and tired? No, I loved it. Why? Because there was an anointing on it for me to do this i would never done anything like this before in my life. But sometimes two would show up. I had classes of eight. Never probably more than eight. I got to teach it for the congregation. So yeah, I guess I had more than eight at that point. But um, you just keep doing it. And you just keep working at it. God does promote if you just be faithful to what you're called to do.
1: But I'll tell you what,
0: if I wasn't called to do it, it would have been difficult. Because it's a lot of work, it's a lot of study time. So, you can't work your way into a better position. You can't work your way to be more loved by God. You can't work your way for people to love you better because you're a a great something or other in the church. God can't love you more than what he's already done. His grace, grace means his unmerited, undeserved favor. His empowerment, grace is his empowerment, not to sin, but to avoid sin. It's his empowerment to work for him. It's empowerment to do something that you've never done before. I never, the first time I came up, I had a 13-class outline. I never did anything like that before. Never. None of us deserve God's grace. It's a free gift. We don't take it lightly but it's to be received as a gift. Without accepting God's grace, we're miserable, tired, depressed, and angry because instead of flowing with the Holy Spirit, we're doing everything in our own strength. Everything should be done with a grace. And then it's easy. Amen? It's easy. Study the writings of the Apostle Paul who had persecuted Christians before he encountered Jesus. He could have been wrapped up in self-pity, fear, shame, etc. But instead he got a hold of the meaning of God's grace and mercy and was able to function in a mighty way for God. Why? Because he had grace. It says in 1 Corinthians fifteen nine through 10 it says, For I am the least of the apostles that cannot meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was within me. So it wasn't his great education that he relied upon, but the great grace of God. In Galatians 2, 16 through 21, it says, You know that a man is justified or reckoned righteous and in right standing with God, not by the works of the law, but only through faith and absolute reliance on, and adherence to, and trust in, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Therefore, even we ourselves have believed on Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. For we cannot be justified by any observance of the ritual of the law given by Moses, because by keeping legal rituals and by works, no human being can ever be justified, declared righteous, and put in right standing with law. Or with God, I'm sorry, right standing with God. So we can't be in right standing with God if we follow the rules and use that as our entrance into heaven. Yes, we have to follow. And yes, we have to obey. But let's do it with the grace of God on us. Amen. Amen. He's given us a grace to obey. See, there's a grace for everything. There was a grace when Clarence and I were Having that sugar fast. And I've already told you this. I have to pray every day for grace. God give me the grace. Just this one day to eat right. Just this one day. Now I have to ask God for grace to exercise. Because that's my other big hurdle. I can't stand it. To me it's just a waste of time. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm getting there. I'm trying to renew my mind daily. Psalm 66. 8-12 through 12. O bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of his praise be heard, which holds our soul in life and suffers not our feet to be moved. For thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou brought us into the net. Thou laid afflictions upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride up over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but thou brought us out in a wealthy place. He's tried us, he's proved us. Amen. But by the grace of God, He's brought us out into a wealthy place. Just remember, do your do your best. But when you've done your best, step away from it. Amen. Just do your best. Do your best in whatever you do. Trust on the grace of God to get you through whatever you've got to do. Church is not Broadway. This isn't a Broadway production. Amen. None of us would qualify if it was a Broadway production. No. <laughs> But man, I love it when everybody gets up and sings. Mm-hmm. I, I love this church. I love everything about this church because we're not under that spirit of performance and having to please man over pleasing God. Amen. It's a freeing place. If you've ever had to minister place, you would know what a special place this is because you can stand up and minister and be free. And there's not a lot of pulpits where you can stand up. And it, it's getting, I think, fewer and fewer. We've got a lot in your fellowship where you can stand up and free, be free. But that performance thing is just like, you can feel it when you walk through the door of churches. You know, they've got a list of things. My husband was handed a list. You know, and here's where you preach. And you've got 18 minutes to preach <laughs> because we got a schedule to move on. And see, it's all about performance in a lot of churches. Thank God that this is different. And I'm thankful. You know, we don't have the, the best graphics. We don't have the best of at any website. You look at our website and go, oh, that's kind of old looking. You know, you look at that. Oh, that's kind of, eh, eh. You know, look at these things. But it's anointed. Amen. And there's a difference. And we have to know the difference between performance and, where we don't bring glory to God because we're so focused on pleasing other people, Mm -hmm. or grace, where we just let God and just say, God, I love you, and I'm going to do my best. God's going to bring people that can help us be excellent in more areas. But in the meantime, we're just going to enjoy everything that we have. Amen. Amen. Well, Father, we just thank you for this time. And we just thank you, Lord, that you've blessed us. Father, help us to walk out our, our pursuit of you. Father, that we wouldn't be performance-orientated, but Lord, we would just show our love for Jesus, not by our performance, Father God, but by our love one for another. Father, the main thing you said is to have love. And Lord, that we would love one another, we would care for one another. Father, we would be servants where we can be servants.
1: And, Lord, we just thank you and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I know I ain't perfect. Amen. But you know what? What we do is we do it unto the Lord. God honors that. He honors our obedience and our willingness. What God's called us to be. And you know what I found out? That the more you do it, the better you (laughs) get. Amen. Amen. So this should be our prayer right here. To be like Jesus.